A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzy. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. I am your host, Chris Jericho. Thank you so much for joining me here this week. We have a great, great show. Edge, multiple WWE World Champion will be here. One of the biggest stars in WWE history. We've got him on our show. His name is actually Adam. It's hard for me to call him Edge. Adam Copeland retired uh, very quickly a few years ago when he had a a really bad um, neck injury. But he's going to be on our show to discuss all things Edge. How in the hell are you guys, Jericho-holics? Did you have a good week so far? Lots of good stuff going on? You know, it's funny for me. I was... um, at my cousin's house last week, and he has a big vinyl collection. He's a vinyl file, I guess you'd say. And one of the records that he had was Hall and Oates. And I started wondering, like, what the hell does Oates do in Hall of Oates? So you remember, Hall, Hall and Oates was the guy, like the blonde guy, Daryl Hall. And then the other guy was John Oates, who had like a mustache and kind of curly, like jerry curl type thing. And his mustache, I think, was kind of more legendary than his actual contributions to the group because he never did anything. Like Daryl Hall was the lead singer, a good-looking guy, kind of wrote, um, seemed like he wrote all the songs. He sang all the songs, at least. It wasn't even like Hall and Oates where he got like uh, some kind of, uh, you know, obligatory vocal, lead vocal. It was always kind of a background type thing and he'd kind of be hanging around in, in, in the background with the other guys. And I always wondered, like, what exactly did Oates do with Hall and Oates? So I thought let's maybe we could look up a Hall and Oates record and see who wrote those tunes. So there's the Hall and Oates greatest hits, which is called Rock and Soul, greatest hits. And if you think you don't really know Hall and Oates, you totally do because they've got so many huge, huge hits that sometimes you forget. And you want to go through those hits and let's see which ones. That, you know, I want to give Hall his credit and his due. But I, I'm not really exactly too sure. So let's, let's just go and see. All right. So it starts off from like the 70s. Say It Isn't So, Daryl Hall. Sarah Smile, Hall, and Oates. She's Gone, Hall, and Oates. Rich Girl. She's a rich girl and she's going too far because you know it don't matter anyway. Uh, that's just Hall. 
Kiss on my list. Everyone knows that one. Here goes your kiss. Your kiss is on my list. That's Hall. You make my dreams come true. Hall and Oates. Private Eyes. Hall. Adult Education. Hall and Oates. I Can't Go For That. No Can Do. Hall and Oates. Man Eater. Hall and Oates. One on One. Hall. And then you've lost that love and feeling. Okay, so Oates had a little bit, uh, at least songwriting going on. It wasn't like he was completely useless. But I, I just feel bad for Oates. And it's actually pretty funny because Oates finally got uh, to take the take the spotlight a few years ago when somebody actually did Oates's mustache. It was a comic book. You might have seen it. Where or you probably haven't seen it because why would you have? <laughs> where Oates Oates's mustache uh, fights crime. So that could be something cool. And at least Oates had his mustache. And if you know anything about me, the, the Ralphus was my sidekick back in WCW back in the 90s. I got the name Ralphus from this movie called Bloodsucking Freaks, where uh, this guy was like this crazy bloodsucking freak, and he had this kind of weird sidekick um, called Ralphus, and it looked like a, a, a little person version of Oates. So that's another thing that Oates had uh, as a claim to fame. He influenced the original Ralphus, wrote a couple tunes. And it felt bad for him. Like, you know, Oates, Oates, Oates and Garfunkel should, should join a band. Garfunkel and Oates, we could call it. Right? So if you're excited about the Hall & Oates record and you're going through a little Hall & Oates uh, rock and roll revival, I have a suggestion. You obviously have to go buy the record. You're not going to pirate it for free because we don't do that here. What you're going to do, if you want to buy the Hall & Oates record or any other record or anything, if you want to do some shopping... Go to podcastone.com, click on the Talk is Jericho page, then click on that Amazon button. Every time you link to Amazon through my page and do some shopping, Amazon will kick a little money back to me so that I can keep this show on the air for you for free. costs a lot of money to do this show. i got to pay for electricity. i got to pay for windscreens in front of the mic because I spit a lot. And if you spit in the mic, it breaks, and that's not good. It doesn't cost you any more to shop this way. You won't be paying any extra fees for anything if you go buy Hall & Oates, Rock & Soul, Part 1 this way. Nothing. You don't have to do anything extra. You just buy the record like you're going to buy it. And this is the way that we can keep the lights on, keep the recording gear working, do all of this stuff that makes this great show for you for free. So please click on the Amazon button Anytime you need to buy something online, you can bookmark it, actually. Just go to podcastone.com, click on Talk is Jericho, and the Amazon button is right there. Go buy your Hall & Oates record now! Once again, coming up today, Edge, one of the greatest WWE superstars of all time. A little bit of a recluse, haven't heard much about him. Currently stars on the Sci-Fi Channel show Haven, but he's going to be on our little show today. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. On the line right now, another fine Canadian. Very excited to have him on. Multiple-time world champion, one of the biggest stars in WWE history. Edge is here. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi. 
I don't, what, what do you say to that? Just like, hey, I, what's up? Well, it's funny too because it's you know I have to be professional because it's you know, my podcast, but it's still like, yeah, it's just Adam. Whatever. What are you yeah, doing, I dummy? Do. You know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, it's funny because I'm sure you can attest to this having been gone from the WWE for a few years, but you spend so much time together over the years on the road, uh, day in, day out, whether you're traveling together or even if even if you're just seeing each other at the shows that when you don't see each other for a while, it really is kind of the old like a like a platoon or something where you don't see anybody for a year or two years. But as soon as you talk to them, it's like nothing has ever changed. Same for guys who played on the same line or had like right. you know I'm sure the, the Oilers in the '80s. I'm sure they run into each other like, hey, what's up? You know, <laughs> yeah, right. it's just one of those things. Like you, you share a common bond, but you, you do you spend so much time together, and then it can be like a year since you've seen somebody, and it, it as long as you were you're, you know tight with them or whatever, you can pick up right where you left off. I always say it's like throwing on that old shoe. Yeah, totally right, and it's, it's it's interesting because I mean I know you've been gone from the W for a few years after you had your your injury, but you've been doing quite a lot of stuff since then, and you're now actually basically a full time actor. It's kind of weird, you know, because I never had any kind of aspirations to act. I really didn't. Like any time I did stuff while I was still with WWE, it was fun, but I never thought, okay, well that's what I'm going to transition and you know, into the next phase of my life whenever I'm, I'm done, you know, jumping around in tights. I just, I didn't really think about it. I, I really just, you know, thought I'm going to relax whenever mm. I, or whenever that is. And then, you know, with it being sped up a couple of years with, with the last injury, it was like, okay, um, now what? And, you know, Kevin Dunn um, called the, the Haven people, um, I guess because they, they've been looking to have a tie-in with SmackDown. And, uh, you know, said, listen, we have this guy retire, and I think he could, you know, fill a good spot on your show. And that's kind of how that all fell into place. And I, you know, I always share those very Hollywood terms of it grew organically and all this stuff, but it, <laughs> it really did. Like, it just kind of uh, one scene turned into four scenes, and then that one episode turned into four episodes, and then it turned into being called back, you know, the next season for seven, and then this year you know, nine episodes, and then they wrote me as, you know, the chief of police. So it just kind of, little by little, they gave me experience. They didn't throw me into the deep end, which right. is very cool, too. How many seasons has it been now? Uh, this is my third, and it's it's run for four, and we're just, you know, I guess waiting to see if it gets picked up for the fifth. Now, t- tell us the concept of the show. I know it's kind of a cool Stephen King type of a vibe, but what, what's, the con- what's the concept of it? Well, it was, it was based... Um, you know, the initial concept is off of uh, Stephen King did a, a short little pulp uh, a few years ago called uh, Colorado Kid. Oh, okay. So it's based off of that, but there's only two characters from that book that actually, you know, made it into the show. And uh, so they, they took the concept, they got his blessing, and um, yeah, they, they, they took it and, and ran. And it's based off of that, but now it's it's this town, and it's called Haven, it's supposed to be based in Maine, and people have troubles, uh, for lack of a better term, that, that's what they call them <laughs> in the show, and it's like powers, it's, you know, sicknesses, almost like a mutant strain type thing. Okay, so the whole town has something going on? Not all of them. Oh, just people, okay. Just certain ones, and everyone in the town kind of knows about it, but the idea is to try and keep it away from the rest of the world. 
so I, I end up being one of the people that, that tries to rescue the town week to week. And that there's like, there's kind of five or six of us that all kind of work together to try and to, to beat these troubles. And, and some of them can, like, my, for instance, my trouble, you know, Dwight's trouble on the show, my character's name is Dwight Hendrickson. And okay. uh, he's a former Army Ranger who found out that he had a trouble when he was in Afghanistan, and his trouble is that he attracts bullets. Wow. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And, of course, you know, now he's the chief of police, so it's not the best job for a dude that attracts bullets. <laughs> you know what's funny, though, and it's interesting from some of the stuff that I've done before acting-wise, people will say, oh, so you're acting now. But what a lot of people don't understand or don't really realize is that when you're wrestling, you're playing a character. I mean, you've been you've been you've been acting for twenty years, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I agree with that. I really do. And that's one of the but one of the things with with wrestling, and this is where it always got blurred. I think for the audience is that if you think about it, even though there's changes to our characters, like even though you know you were Ayatollah Rock and Roll, and then eventually morphed into serious and suits and and large enunciated words and everything, and even though I went from you know Edge and Christian and fun and Bill and Ted's into this you know rated our superstar thing, mm-hmm. we were still Chris Jericho and Edge week after week after week. Right. It wasn't like we were Jack Sparrow, and then two months later they saw us as Edward Scissorhands or sure. something like that. Yeah, you're so, right. So that's where I think the confusion, you know, it's we'll always be called Chris Jericho, and we'll always be called Edge, and I think it's harder for the WWE audience or the wrestling audience to separate the two, even though I feel the same way. I'm like, no, nah, my name's Adam. I played a character named Edge. I just played them for 15 years. I think a lot of times I kind of uh, compare it to Seinfeld, where Jerry Seinfeld, the the guy, plays Jerry Seinfeld, the character, on a show called Seinfeld. So I'm sure there's always people that were confused as to which guy is real. But meanwhile, he's playing a, probably a completely different guy, or maybe little you know little nuances of of himself. But it's it's over the top exaggerated, and that's yeah, the same I- with Jericho or Edge, you know. Yeah, it's like there, there's always going to be elements to any character you do, I think. Right. But you you, you ramp them way up. You know, it, it's like I, I don't go around tackling people in a trench coat. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and I'm not even tempted anymore to do that. <laughs> just, did you but, uh, did you have to make any um, – did you do any studying at all or did you just kind of watch and learn on the job? Initially, like it was so fast, the first turnover. It was it was two days after I retired. Mm-hmm. And I got a call from from Warrenitis. Hey, do you want to do a part on Haven? And I was like, uh, Yeah, but I haven't really watched TV. What's Haven? Like, right. I, right. I, I don't know. And you told me that it was a Stephen King thing. I was right. Like, oh, great. Okay. So um, I got caught up, and I was like, Yeah, I'm in. I, I, that would be cool. I'd like to go out to Halifax and spend some time out there and kind of get my toes into this thing. Um, so that for the first season, I really, I did not, I just thought I'd watch and learn, uh, cause I didn't have time to do anything else. Right. So going into the second season, I was like, okay, I'm at least, I'm going to study. I'm going to pick up some books. I'm just going to tear apart movies. And then I'm going to ask my buddies, you know, that I worked on the show with, Oh, why do you think they did that? And, and mm-hmm. kind of pick apart the process. And then, um, this last year though, I finally took some classes and I, and I, 
the entire time that I had off and recovering from the neck surgery and everything, I just I took classes and I studied and studied and studied. And I felt such a massive difference this season. And thankfully, it coincided with them giving me you know more responsibility right. on the show. It's interesting. That's, that's cool that you did that because I, I feel the same way. You know, obviously, we did do a lot of... You know, I've studied acting before, but studying improv as well. And that was what really got me. Like when I first started doing Groundling stuff in, in L.A., they, they'd be like, well, have you ever done, you know, improv before? And it's like, well, no, but we always do improv. You know, I remember back in the in, in the early 2000s, whenever, you know, you finished a main event match, you'd go and do 20 minutes of improv. You know, me and Austin or you and Rock or you just kind of just whatever, yep. just comedy routines. But then when I actually finally went and studied with the Groundlings, Groundlings even though I was perf- uh, still performing with them, then I'm learning the 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 basics, you know, the the foundation, the stuff that that you don't learn. You just go to all the you know the the big the big things in acting, but it's the, actually the subtleties that you need to learn from a coach. And once you do that, then you become even more equipped. Yeah, and just finding out the reason for doing things. Right. Like, okay, why did Why did De Niro make that choice? Yeah. Okay. He sat down with his character and he pulled it apart you know, this way and approached it from this side and you can approach it from another side. And it was really kind of cool to, to just, uh, see other people in class take the same thing and do it a completely different way and go, oh, okay, that worked too. Yeah. I wouldn't thought of that at all. And, and then, like you said, kind of get up and, and improv things and have, you know, uh, one sentence, you know, okay, here you are, and then have to go create this. Yeah. This character. And it monologue in front of complete strangers. Yeah, interesting that you just the fact you said you use choices, which is, I mean, when I left the WWE in 05, took a lot of classes, a lot of acting, and that was what kind of how you mentioned the, the suit uh, guy that I came up with, the huh. uh, the kind of like the big hated heel or whatever it was. And that was specifically because A, I learned how to drop in, which is what you learn in acting class, and B, learned how to make choices. So, I mean, that's something I think is smart for you to have done that, knowing that now. You know, basically, whether you like it or not, you're an actor now. That's what you are. So you should definitely learn as much as you possibly can, just like you did when you first trained to wrestle. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I fought that term actor. I was like, oh, gosh, I'm not an actor. I don't want to take <laughs> away from people who, like, know how to do this, you know? Right, right. But there does, you know, come a point where it's like, okay, I'm not a wrestler. You know, I've been retired for three years. What do I do more than anything else? Well, I mean, walk the dogs and uh, act. So I guess I'm a professional dog walker who acts on the side. Well, you, not until you go to dog walking school, True. Then, then you'll be a pro. <laughs> well, let's talk. Let's let's talk about. You know, you mentioned how you haven't wrestled in three years. We're talking about training to learn how to do something. Uh, let's talk about how you first got into wrestling uh, so many years ago. I mean, there's there's a famous story and so many different versions of it. But tell us the real. How did you get into wrestling in the first place? I mean, very, very similar to, to your past. And I think, you know, you and myself and, and you know, the nerd, Christian, the nerd, we all, the same thing for me, it was, uh, I just, I saw wrestling for the first time, you know, the way it really all started was the first thing I ever really remembered and, and latched onto was kiss. They, right. they were these larger than life superheroes that weren't just on the pages of a comic book. They were, they were tangible and I could actually go see them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. From there, it, it kind of, you know, the, the next thing that I remember, it was like this, you know, boom, light went off and it was, it was wrestling. 
And uh, same thing. I was like, okay, wait, they, they're Maple Leaf Gardens. So I can go, like, slap hands with those guys. And, and there's that element of just huge, colorful, you know, personas. And everything about that just screamed out at me. Um, so I, I think it was kind of a natural progression. And then when I saw that, it was like, well, that's what I'm going to do. It, it was, it really was. It was like, okay, I could be a musician or I could be a wrestler. Uh, <laughs> right. I think I'm going to be a wrestler. But it was it was close. You know, as a, as a kid growing up, those were like the two things. And um, it, uh, you know, it just kind of grew from there until I'm in high school, and Jay and I are in high school, and we're still the wrestling guys when it's not cool anymore. Right. You know, there's that era where it's like at once, you know, the Hogan thing started to dwindle. We were still those guys. We yeah. Were still, everyone knew we were the two wrestling guys in school. Right. And, you know, we'd still go and wrestle in the hallway, you know, in this one area outside the library in our high school. I mean, we were those geeks, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was 17 years old. The Toronto star, um, Norm DaCosta, had a wrestling column every weekend. It was like the, the closest I can think, you know, to like the dirt sheets that I had access to. You know, okay. it was it was in the Toronto star and he gave like inside information kind of thing, the stuff that you weren't supposed to find out. Right. Um, but they, they, they had a wrestling column and it's at Sully's gym down in Parkdale, down in Toronto. It's kind of a rough neighborhood in Toronto. And, uh, they were having a, an essay contest winning essay gets free wrestling training. And uh, you know, I just, I knew that was my shot because you know I'm 17. It's just me and my mom. She's scraping by to, to make rent and feed this growing weed that she has for her son. <laughs> you know, I'm working in a in a uh, racetrack, a horse racetrack, as a parking attendant in this like little wooden shack, making like I don't know, it was like four bucks an hour. I can't afford two grand for wrestling training, but this was like that little crack in the in the door. I was like, okay, there's there's my chance, you know. And if I get this chance, then I gotta bust that door off the hinges kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wrote in this essay. I, I never saved it. I sent, I wrote it and I sent them the only copy. Wow. And I, I that's one of the things I, I try not to live with regret, but that is one thing. It's like, man, I wish I had a copy of that well, just to see how embarrassing it was or how, you know, maybe I had a little bit of an idea. Okay. Don't say I'm a hulkamaniac, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you remember saying in the, in the letter? I do remember saying, I just, I want this, you know, I, I, I not concerned about the money. I don't want to do it to, to make it and be rich and famous. I, there's, I just love this. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, as altruistic and pure as it sounds, that really was like my mindset. I, I didn't think about, you know, big houses and, and fancy cars. I really didn't. What I thought about was, oh man, if Jay and I could work, Davy and Owen, we could do this <laughs> and do that with them. And if I got in there with Brett, you know, and just start running through scenarios of things that I would want to do in a match. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's kind of how I, I looked at it. And I think... Um, it's the innocence of when you first started. And, and like you said, I mean, if there's money to be made, you always wanted to make it. But I think probably your whole career, it was never about the money. It was about the same thing of like, what if I could do this with that guy? Or what if I could do this with, with this guy? Exactly. And and once, once, you know, I started understanding, it's like, oh, you can make money at this. Well, that's cool. Mm-hmm. It, uh, but I mean, even the, the year before I made it to WWE, I made like 12 grand wrestling. 
I put way more into it than I ever yeah. made from it. Um, you know, because we spend more than that in gas. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> just, just like to drive to Winnipeg or to, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it was one of those things. It was an investment. It really was. And it was an investment to, to kind of do something that you want to do and anything like that. Uh, you know, you always hear the same stories if it's entertainment-based at least. It's, there's always going to be some hard years put in. Right. There has to be in, in order to... Yeah. They're just... There's, there's no other way around it. If, yes, you if, if you're an artist, whether it's a musician, a painter, an actor, a wrestler, whatever, you know, a dancer, you're going to have to pay those dues and not make any money to, to get there. Yeah, and and if you know if you can get a good you know uh, kind of scenario early out of the gate, you're still going to have to pay dues. Like you know, even with Haven, I'm like, okay, I'm paying dues here. I'm cutting my teeth at this. This is something new to me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not walking in and thinking I own this place. You know, right. Like it's, you start from the bottom in something new and you scrape your way to where you get, you know, hopefully to the top or wherever you want to be anyway. Quick segue. Was it interesting for you? I know I've done that a few times where you go kind of from the top of the mountain. Like, you know, when you're edge, you can go into the WWE, you can do what you want. You can go talk right to Vince. If you don't like something, you can change it. Obviously it doesn't work that way when when you're first starting out. Was it kind of, um, I I know how you are and I know you're very, you're very laid back guy, but was it kind of interesting sometimes to be saying like, it's kind of funny how you're at the top of the mountain here, and now you're kind of bottom of the ladder there. Yeah, I mean, you, you check your ego at the door. Yes. And it, because I realize that I'm not an expert at this. And, and I do kind of agree with that whole 10,000 hours of something, and, and you can you know become an expert. Hmm. I, but I still think there's always something to learn, that being said. And with right. wrestling, I really felt like, bam, by the end, I was like, okay, I, I know how to do this. I feel really, really comfortable in this and, and all of those things. Like and, and like you said, just go to Vince and say, hey, I got this idea. Or, I don't like this. What if we tweak that? And have the confidence to right. know that whatever I was saying or where I was coming from, it, it could be uh, – it, it's not just going to be – you know, I'm not coming from anywhere with it. It's like there, there's a wealth of experience to yes. be able to back it up. Um, with this, it was like, okay, I don't know anybody. I, 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 sent, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm kind of going to do the same thing I did with the WWE locker room. I'll speak when spoken to. I'll be you know friendly and you know uh, I and thankfully that show goes with the rules. They they don't hire assholes. So <laughs> you know I walked in and um, you know it's a, it's a bunch of people from the East Coast and and once again another cliche, but they really are salt of the earth people. They're mm-hmm. just. They don't care if you wrestle WrestleMania in front of 70,000 people. They could care less. They're like, hey, Adam, how's it going? I'm like, okay, cool. Then this should be good. And I will be completely upfront with everybody like, hey, this is new. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to tell me, I am wide open. Mm -hmm. And I did it with every actor that I was doing a scene with. I was like, I have no problem asking for your help. If you see something, don't be afraid to tell me. I'm not going to get my hackles up. And, um... Yeah, so, so it, it thankfully that seemed to kind of uh, endear me to them. Like, so, okay, you know, because initially, and even you know, the star of the show, her name's Emily Rose, and she was like, I didn't know what to expect because there's still that misconception. Oh yeah, she, no kidding. And Harry and bald. <laughs> yeah, and same brother, and I, rah, 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 like and you know, right? My lines, you know, yeah. and she she said, and then I saw you, and then I talked to you, and I was like, whoa, okay, well, this completely, you know blew away whatever I was thinking. So it's so um, amazing. You still have that. But so, so, so you go to, so, okay. You, you send in the, the, uh, the essay 
and you you win because they know you're doing it for the right reasons, or at least hope you do. Plus, you're a big guy. Did you have to send it a picture too? Uh, I, no, I told them. I told them, you know, my size because at that okay. point I, think I was uh, I was six four by that point, but I was like two hundred eighteen pounds or something. Right. You know, and uh, I, I've never been the biggest guy, but I was like I was thin and I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So. But I guess, uh, you know, and, and listening back to C.K. and Ron now, they figured, okay, well, he's got the frame, and he's got a look, so, and he, and he wants it. But like, they, they could tell I wanted it, because they, they tried, you know, I went down there. I didn't have a car at the time. My, my grandfather drove me down. Um, so I walk into this office, into this dilapidated old building that looked straight from Rocky. I mean, I expected, <laughs> I, I seriously expected him to be like throwing a squash ball like up against the wall as I was walking yeah. in. It just, you walked in this building and it was like creaky and old and you had to go up these three flights of stairs and like some of the stairs were out and it's like, you're like, fuck, am I going to fall through this thing? Like, right. and, and you, you get to the gym and it just reeks of like jock straps and it's this old gym and there's boxing equipment everywhere and there's but there's posters of Ali signed like he trained there in the 60s oh wow so you feel the history when you walk in because it doubles as a boxing gym so you know and I see guys in this ring in a back corner and it's it's set into a corner so on the one wall I'll never forget this there's this old banner it's like all yellow and mildewed and everything and it says ABC wide, wide world of sports and uh so I look at that, and I was just like, oh, man, I couldn't take my eyes off it. Now, my mom and my grandfather are with me, and then I see Ron and Siki. Now, Siki, at this point, is like 60, jacked, like still just thick. It's a big black guy with blonde hair. Big black guy with a massive blonde Afro pompadour. It was <laughs> it was like the best of both worlds. It was Elvis <laughs> in a fro. It was, I, I still haven't seen anybody with that or that could pull it off. So... I walk in there and they're like, come on in. So, because uh, he has his old Texas drawl because he's originally from Texas. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so he's sitting there talking to me and he's dabbing at his eye because his eye waters constantly from Dan Crawford kicking him in the head so hard. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's talking to me and he's got, a, got this drawl. And then Ron Hutchison is the other trainer and they start, you know, kind of throwing horror stories at me. Like, well, you know, you're not going to make money at this. You're going to starve. And Siki started saying about some of the things that he had to go through, you know, as a black performer through the South in the 50s and 60s, you know, and he was eating out of dumpsters and he was, you know, they, they just really threw the realities of what it could be at me. And I said, okay, well, but when do I start? So I, I think uh, the fact that they, they couldn't scare me off um, mm. was probably the, the main Part that uh, and I don't know maybe maybe they saw something in my eyes I don't know but for whatever reason they called me back you know a week later I just got back from taking a trip with uh, my buddy Nick down to uh, um, spring break down in Florida got back phone rings and it's Siki and he goes okay come on down next week and I was just you know wow it, yeah it was like okay this this, this so, is it this is my shot how long you know, was your how long was your your training with him. They, they were amazing. They they were so good to me, and they were they were great to everybody. But they were so good. They they never charged me one dime, and it was open door policy. Come as long as you want to. Wow. You have your first match until we think you're ready. So did you go in every day, or or once three times a week, or how was it? Three times a week. 
Okay. It would be uh, Saturdays and Sundays for sure. And then sometimes we would get midweek, you know, um, evenings. But, uh, yeah, we'd be in there all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Um, and then Ron would, would make us, you know, do the Hindu squats, run the stadium, run the stairs. We did an hour and a half of cardio before we ever he'd ever let us get in the ring. Right. Yeah, to kind of try and weed out the pretenders, right? Yeah, he was weeding out the weak. And and you'd see them come in, and you knew immediately, like, okay, they aren't going to last. Or they'd take their first bump, and you just knew. It was like, <laughs> they're, they're out of here. They I, did not understand that it was going to be like that. I always uh, equated it to, it was like watching a Friday the 13th movie where you'd see like 12 kids, and they would just disappear one by one. Yeah. Until there was like two left. That was exactly what happened at our school. It would just disappear. I remember one guy took a bad bump, walked out the door, and just never, we never saw him again. He just disappeared. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. And, you know, it is shocking. Like, it, the, the, the ring we trained in, it was, uh, it was 12 by 14. It wasn't even, you know, an even ring. It was really, you know, kind of strung together. Mm-hmm. But it was a boxing ring, so it was really, really stiff. And uh, you couldn't jump off the top rope because there was pipes hanging down from the ceiling and everything. So you really, really had to have your basics down. And that was one of the great things coming out of that. I remember, like, we're doing hammerlocks again. Like, I know how to switch from a headlock to a hammerlock. I got it. I'll do it again. And they were really, really strict on that stuff. And I didn't get it at the time. I really didn't. Um, But by the time I had my first match, I was like, oh, okay. Pretty much everybody else on this show sucks. I right. get it. Yeah. Okay. They taught me really good. You learned properly. Was there anybody else um, in that school that made it of, of any merit when you were there? Um, we, we had a pretty good class. Uh, there was uh, Johnny Swinger mm-hmm. who um, made some headway down in WCW and made it to you know WWE for a little bit. He, he was a really talented guy, and for whatever reason, it just you know how it is. It's uh, yeah strikes for you and and it works out how it works out but he was in in my class there was a guy uh, rob echeveria um who wrestles as uh, el fuego mm-hmm. who ended up kind of having a hand in training gail kim and tracy brooks and and a lot of the, the angelina love a lot of these uh female uh wrestlers now have have kind of been trained by rob mm-hmm. um uh, I think I think he had a hand in Michael Elgin and, and some of the guys in Ring of Honor too. Um, okay. And then uh, Joe Legend, um, Joe Hitchin, he, he worked as Joe Legend. Yeah. He's, I mean, so there's quite a few guys that came out of that had some skill at least. So you had guys to work with. Yeah, yeah, and he was kind of the, the guy where we were either always opponents or we teamed. Um, and uh, you know, we kind of start going places together, and, and you know, and. Uh, knew each other's movements and really like you get to that point where you just look and you know, and, right. and it was one of the, he was that first guy that I had that kind of rapport in the ring with. Um, and, uh, and then eventually, uh, Jay, um, Jay started training about a year and a half after me and, um, you know, the entire way, I mean, we grew up together. So the entire time, you know, he'd be like, so what was it like? What's this like? What's that like? And I was like, dude, you just, you just gotta come and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because he was going to write in, in the essay, too, to the star, and he never did. He didn't submit it. I was like, why, why didn't you submit it? And uh, I don't know. He, he just he didn't. And, but eventually, he took his uh, student loan money, didn't tell his parents, and put it toward wrestling school. And that was the beginning of Christian. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. 
I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start, Start saving, saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Talk is talk is talk is Jericho. Welcome back to Talk is Jericho. We're here with Edge telling us some amazing stories about how he first started uh, in Toronto in uh, Sweet Daddy Siki's school, Ron Hutchison. So you finally finish your training uh, and then you're basically, here you go, kid, out on the road, out you go. Did a lot of different things. I know you you, you uh, did a tour of Japan and you went to the southern states and then, of course, you went and worked with Tony Candelo out in Winnipeg, kind of doing the whole independent scene. What was that like for you at first? You know, it was a lot of fun. You know, if I look back at it now, I'm like, oh, how did, how did we get through all that stuff and why? But at the time, it was just so much fun. You're you're 19 years old and you're finally you're you're getting out there and and you're you're starting to make headway and you're just you're on the road and you're seeing things and you're discovering and you're becoming a man and all of this stuff is happening, and then. You get to, you know, you go to these places and meet people and, and um, just experience life. And I always say it's like, you know, that's the, the cutting the teeth phase. You know, right. you just, you get out there. You have to. And, and you network and meet people. And, and little by little, you find yourself, it's like, okay, I'm in Shediac, New Brunswick. And I'm wrestling Bad News Brown in the main event. Like, <laughs> when, when, when did, holy <laughs> shit, I'm yeah. getting ghetto plastered. Like, <laughs> It just, um, it was an amazing experience. You know, we starved. We barely had two pennies to scrape together. We'd basically pay to work a lot of nights. Sure. Because you had to pay for a license, which was 75 bucks, and you'd get paid 30. We'll do the math, you know. But it was it was just experience, and it was a way to, to get out there and get better and get better and get better. And that's really what that was for me. It was like, okay, these are the steps i got to take to get good at this and get experience. And if I see Rick Martell in a locker room, just soak in as much knowledge as I can mm-hmm. and watch his matches and then ask him why he did something. And then if he told me to try something, actually do it and implement it and not just brush it off and ask because that's what you're supposed to do. You know, it's one of those things um, I'm sure every athlete from every generation always looks back to their early years and thinks, well, it was better this way. But, you know, I think... The guys from, I mean, my generation was a little bit older than you, but pretty much the same. We we learned differently because you could go to those small territories and you would learn, um, like you said, learn from Rick Martell or Bad News Brown or Jerry Morrow or wherever you were. And even if you're living at Bo James's house in, you know, Rat Hole, Kentucky, you're still learning. Whereas now those guys don't have a lot of that, that, that chance because they just, let's say in WWE, they go to the Performance Center. They're there for six months to a year in the high high-end, state-of-the-art you know, warehouse, and then they're on TV, and I think I think it puts them behind the eight ball a lot more than we ever were because we had the chance to make mistakes and to also learn from these guys that may not have been huge stars, but were still great workers within their territory that they were famous in. Yeah, it's much more pressure. It, it is, and and also just the the pressures of how do you deal with all of that so fast? Right, that's the biggest thing. Suddenly, you're making you know six figures. Well, you got to pay taxes, and you've never had to worry about that before. Yeah. Okay, well, there's that. Um, 
suddenly you have to look into getting a mortgage or do you rent or all of these things are coming while you're trying to figure out, Yes, you know, being, being famous and being on TV and trying to make headway within the company without experience. And, and to me, the, the best part of coming up in, in that kind of the last era before it, it went that way with, you know, the FCWs and, or NXTs and the kind of the farm system is that, you know, wrestling Jimmy Valiant in front of 10 people in Cleveland. <laughs> we didn't touch. I think we did two things, but we were out there for 20 minutes. And it's like, okay, I, I can take things from this. I, uh, sure, of course. Everywhere you, know, you went, you could you could take a little piece of it to add to your own arsenal. And I could learn from it. And now if I'm in there, you know, as a young kid with a guy who's got the same amount of experience as me, what am I going to learn? That's right. We're just, we're just going to run through what everybody else does. And it and the danger is it ends up being a conveyor belt of everybody just being the same. Yes, exactly. And, and that's the thing when you, when you go uh, back to those early years, you would always find guys that may not have been big stars, but there was a lot of talented guys you could work with. I mean, you look at you look at Lenny St. Clair or Dr. Luther. That guy was great, and you could learn from him. I remember he told me years before I ever met you, yeah, I did this tour with this guy. You're going to like him. His name is Adam Impact. He looks like Sebastian Bach. I call him Skid, and that was you. You, you were Skid. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to mention that, too, because Lenny was the first guy that I kind of worked outside my school guys. Okay. And and I remember, you know, it's like, oh, Dr. Luther is coming out on this, you know, Hannibal Lecter gurney thing. And, you know, I was in the ring going, man, this is this is pretty freaky. Like, right. he's been pan and all of these things. And, you know, we, we had a good relationship. He was already calling me skid by that point. But <laughs> I remember we got in the ring and, um, you know, he called the spot. And I went right away to do it. And he goes, whoa, hold on, you got it? I, and it was this epiphany. I was like, oh, I don't have to go right away. <laughs> my time i get it and and it was like seriously like shot me in the head it was just like oh wow all of those those dominoes just dropped Mm -hmm. and it was just because i was in there with somebody that had more experience right and i was able to go oh oh okay i can take this now awesome thank you i can put that in the portfolio and kind of you know use it going forward absolutely and then what you did did you ever work for wcw at all by the way i did two matches for WCW, I, uh, Scott Demore was booking the extra talent, and uh, I remember I was like, I was really like torn about it. I was like, hmm, I don't want to do that. I don't want to just be an extra guy. I want so much more than that. But I was flat broke, and it was five hundred bucks. So mm. I thought, well, huh, maybe I should do it. Maybe they'll see me and go, oh, we got to hire this. Yeah, guy. Uh, there's always that chance too, right? So it was the first time that I met Rhino. I, I drove through Detroit, I picked up Rhino, and then him and I drove down to uh, Florida together. And, you wow. know, we became like, long best friends from that point forward. The, Scott and, Demore was booking guys from Detroit for Florida? Yep. Wow, yep. that's interesting. Yeah, for the uh, Saturday night and for Worldwide, and, and I think was the name of the show. It, it was, uh, you know, a late night Saturday night show or something. Or yeah, 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 show. sure. Like, it just, it's, yeah. Just, it's just surprising to me that they would have had they would bring in guys from that far away and they wouldn't have just looked for Florida guys, for example. That's how crazy WCW was. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> Enough said. And that was the thing I, I so quickly learned. I walked in, I was like, ooh, this locker room doesn't feel good. Oh. You know, you'd see the guys that you could go to. 
and I remember uh, talking to Chris. You know, he knew I was Canadian. He found out I was Canadian, so he pulled me aside and he's like, "Just be careful here." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." Oh, so Benoit was down there at the time too. So what year was that? What ninety six? Yeah, it was. It was. It was about ninety five, ninety six. Okay, so he was down there. So he told yep. you to be careful. Yep. He said, "Don't don't trust anybody here." Wow. Like, okay. Got it. <laughs> what a horrible way to have to come into somewhere, you know, being all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and coming in there and realizing there's just a bunch of sharks. Yeah, and but you quickly realize that. I mean, you know. Yeah, that, that, of course. That, but I got that from being there for, for, you know, two shows, and I worked twice. I worked uh, Meng or Kaku. Um, okay. He was super sweet, great mm-hmm. guy, you know, and uh, actually gave me some stuff, too. We had a, a bit of a competitive match. And um, then I worked Kevin Sullivan. How was that? So, uh, it was brutal. You know, I mean, it was it, it was what it was. It was what I was down there to do. Um, but once again, it's and, funny, too, because you see a guy like you, and obviously, you know, it, it's it's the same thing that I realized very early on. When I went to wrestling school, I thought, okay, I'm just going to be the, the short little guy. And, you know, I wasn't six foot six, but I wasn't the smallest guy by any means. And that's kind of the way it was in, in wrestling uh, at that point in time. So to see a guy like you to come in there at six foot four, whether you weigh 220, whether you weigh 230 or whatever, you're still a good looking big guy. It surprises me that they wouldn't have thought something about that to see you there. Well, it, it was, you know, I think more than anything, it was a vehicle for, uh, for show, you know, big show. Cause he was at ringside with Sullivan and it was on that rotating wooden stage. Oh yeah. Brutal. I think a lot of it was, um, I think Sullivan was booking at the time, too, or was one of the bookers. And, yeah. you know, uh, he can go over on this kid who's 6'4", about, you know, I was about a little heavier. I was about 250 at that point. We'll and, uh, it, you know, okay, I'll, I'll beat that kid. He's got a good look. Gotcha. I, gotcha. I think that was the mentality. I mean, I took a choke slam on the floor. <laughs> um, just, I was like, yep, got it. Sure, trying to get no noticed, problem. right? I'll take that joke slam, sure. It was brutal. But I mean show took care of me, but there's no good way to take that thing. Sure. Out yeah, it's bumping on the floor. So so you mentioned your flat broke obviously and you're trying to, to at least get noticed in WCW. It wasn't too shortly after that that you started to um get involved with the WWE, shall we say. Was that through Carl DeMarco or was that through Bret Hart or how did that come about? Yeah, initially it was Carl and, and you know what those you know, the WCW things would do, it'd be like, okay, there's my money to buy a plane ticket out to Halifax to work the Grand Prix tour this summer for Emile Dupree, which was seven days a week, and you'd do two shows on Sundays. So right. you're getting that much experience. And I, they were putting me in the main event, so I was working Bad News. I was working Martell, and I was like, okay, perfect. That's that's what I need. Little by little, just from doing that stuff, eventually, um, you know, we did a show in Ajax, Ontario, and unbeknownst to any of us, Carl DeMarco was in the audience. And he, mm. at that point, was, was Brett's manager. Just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, helped him out and stuff. Um, and he contacted, you know, a few of us and said, hey, you, you guys are pretty good. You know, I, I like coming to these shows to see if there's any new talent coming up. Wow. Um, l- let me talk to Brett. Get me a tape. We got him tapes, never heard anything really. And then... All of a sudden, uh, a Canadian office opens, and the Canadian president is Carl DeMarco. Wow. And then he recontacts us and says, hey, listen, um, you know, I, I have more opportunity to, to get you guys noticed now. So um, they needed somebody for Hakushi out in Halifax, house show, 
you know, somebody didn't show. So Fuego, Rob, mm-hmm. uh, he called him because he figured, okay, their styles, they'll match. Um, size-wise, they'll match. Rob goes out there, has a match with Hakushi, okay. And then uh, I kept doing tours, and he said, um, you know, you should go out to Brett's and kind of show. Oh, but before any of that, actually, um, they needed somebody to wrestle Bob Holly in Cop uh, Coliseum. Uh-huh. Um, somebody didn't show or somebody got stuck at the board or whatever it was. And uh, I didn't have a car. I just finished college. My car was broken down. had no money. I was living in Rockwood, Ontario, and doing my internship. And, like, it, it, it was... Probably the lowest I've ever been from a financial, like, okay, what am I going to do tomorrow standpoint? And, um, which is generally how it works, you know, that then all of a sudden this blast of sunshine comes flying through. And, uh, Jay ends up getting a hold of me and says, Carl DeMarco's trying to get a hold of you. They need somebody to wrestle Bob Holly. I'll drive you there. Uh, okay. So Jay comes, picks me up, drives me to Cops Coliseum. Uh, you know, felt pretty confident, strangely. I got there sure. three hours before the show. I, I was the first one in the dressing room. I beat Perry Horowitz there, um, which is saying something because he, he, he didn't get there much after me. Um, he must have been mad about it, too. He's so neurotic. Yeah, that's his <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. But, um, so I, I got there. Um, it's 7.30 start. I'm on first with Bob. Bob gets there about 7 o'clock. Um, Classic Bob walks up to me, how long you been working? I was like, ah, you know, about four and a half years. Fuck. And walks away. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, uh, how's this going to be? Um, I think it was George Steele was the agent or one of the agents. Um, I think Gria was there too. And uh, they said cross body, you know, uh, for the finish. Okay. So we went out there, had nothing but the finish. And um, Bob, Bob hadn't talked to me still mm-hmm. so we uh we go out there and um i just started calling a few things and, and i'm surprised that bob didn't try to take my head off um but I, right out of the gate i just started dancing like a fool and it got a reaction from the crowd timmy white was the ref and i still have a picture of it he's got he's looking at me just dumbfounded but then he started laughing and i and bob actually started chuckling which i realize now was a feat in itself. Well, and what was and, your name? What was your ring name? Oh, yes. I was Sexton Hardcastle. <laughs> I always love that. Sexton Hardcastle. Which was the new moniker, which I still think might be the greatest name ever. I, I have to agree with you on that one. I really believe that. The Jove, I think that's yeah. still the greatest handle ever. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I gave them a cassette and I came out to the ring to walk because, you know, I hadn't seen ECW at that point, so I didn't know Van Damme came out to it. Okay. So I came out and I started doing this horrible Caucasian running man to Pantera. I mean, it was just it was just all sorts of ridiculous. It was like, it didn't make any sense, but for whatever reason, the crowd reacted. And the match ended up, I remember being good. I was like, this is a good, solid match. They're with false finishes. They're, they're into this. This mm-hmm. is pretty cool. And he was still spark plug at this point wearing racing stripes, you know, so... I don't know how much people got into that character at that point, but they were into this match, and it was cool. I'm not saying it's because of me. I'm just saying it was a, a good, you know, uh, solid opening match on a card. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we did the finish, and uh, it seemed to work out well. We got to the back, and Bob was like, damn, kid, thanks. I was like, all right, cool. And then, you know, uh, Scott Hall, Razor at that point, he goes, man, kid, you, you got something there. You just got to learn to work for 10,000 people instead of 10. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, do we know to cut it? Um, 
and you know warrior pulled me aside and you know all these guys it's a real good confidence booster for you yeah and very complimentary and i was like okay i don't think they need to do that you know right they're just being cool all right um and that was kind of the genesis of it but then i you know still nothing happened i just i went right back out on the road i went back out to grand prix and then carl said hey uh Brett's down with uh, a knee uh, surgery. He got his knee scoped. Mm-hmm. Um, you should head out there to his house. So, you know, I took all the money that I made and saved from the Grand Prix tour, bought a plane ticket out to Calgary, had no place to stay. I had met you. I hadn't even met you yet. I just, you know, through Lenny and all these, these guys, um, you know, I knew of you kind of thing. Did we, did we not do one TV taping that one time where, like, uh, ultimate... Ultimate Dragon was there. In there? We didn't Winnipeg. That's right. right. We we had, we had met once, but right. you know, I, I was like, ah, do do I call him out of the blue and say, hey, can I crash at your place? Oh yeah, because I was living there at the time. That's right. Yeah, yeah, but you were in Mexico, I think. Oh, you weren't there. I remember some. I think Lance had told me, or, or no, actually, I didn't even know Lance that much at that point because Lance was still very like he was the the you know the kind of gruff standoffish guy at that point he was yeah. friendly but like i'm not gonna call him right big wall <laughs> yeah <laughs> right. big, big wall between him and the rest of the uh, guys yeah so you know at that point i just didn't know and um so finally i thought okay i've met johnny smith twice i have his number i'll call him and i and i called johnny and i was like hey johnny um <laughs> it, it's uh it's adam and he went oh hey hey what's going on i was like well i'm, I'm in calgary <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have a place to stay. Anyway, uh, I'll come get you. Wow. So you just showed up there with no, with nothing? I, I had nothing, man. Wow. Nothing. That's cool that Johnny I, did that. I, I had gear and, and dirty clothes. <laughs> um, so, and Johnny's like this unsung hero in my story because he came, he picked me up from the airport, took me to his house. He fed me. Him and his wife fed me. They They put me up in a guest room. He took me to the gym every day to work out with him. Then he dropped me off at Brett's. He went home. He'd come pick me up from Brett's. Then, you know, and it was nice for them because they they had a babysitter. So I could look after their daughter. Oh, right. But all of that, you know, I would have been, I don't know what I would have done, honestly. But Mm -hmm. I had to get out there. It was, you know, I have a chance to get in front of the WWF champion at the time. You know, it's like. How do I not do that? So what did you do? Just go knock on Brett's door? Did he know you were coming or or what was the deal? I think you got a heads up that I was coming, but yeah, I just showed up. Hmm. I just showed up. I knocked on the door and they went, okay, the ring's down there. So then I, I walked in this, this giant indoor pool room with a ring set up in the back and, you know, Andrew Martin Test is in there. Um, uh, Mark Henry's in there. Uh, Shamrock's in there. And, okay. you know, these guys that were getting seasoning, uh, Andrew wasn't signed yet, but he was, you know, um, kind of way. interested in wrestling. The way Andrew did it, he just saw Brett and said, "Hey, I want to be a wrestler." And Brett said, "Well, come up to my house." Because Brett was so, doing that at the time; he was having kind of un- unofficial camps at his place, uh-huh. right? So I went out there, and eventually Kurgan was there, who I knew from Grand Prix, so that was nice. And then Andrew and I hit it off right away, and uh, just kind of got in and did. What I do, you know, I just mm-hmm. got in and started working, and then you know, Brett pulled me aside and he goes, "Okay, um, you, you got something, you know, just keep getting experience, get back out here when you can." 
and I had tours booked, so I, you know, I went to Winnipeg, and then I, you know, I went down through the states, and then back out to Grand Prix, made enough to get back out to Brett's. Um, this time, I brought Jay with me. And so, uh, how does that translate into getting into the WWE finally? Then, well, eventually, you know, after my second time out there, Brett said, "Okay, I, I'm going to talk to Jr." You know, I think there was probably a little bit of that. Okay, he came out once; he's got something. But yeah, let's yeah, yeah. Let's let's make him prove it a bit, earn it. And right. um, so I went out the second time, and I felt like I had improved too from what I learned from him the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, got back out there, and you know, uh, this time Jay and I could work each other too. So that went a long way because by that point we've been working each other all over the place, and. Uh, so we, I remember getting in having like a good, good match for you know two guys kind of five six years deep into their career type thing. Yeah. Um. And uh, so then I, he he pulled me aside in his office. He's like, okay, I'm going to talk to them. Um, I can't promise anything, but I'll talk to them for you. I was like, hey. And he's vouching for me, so it's like hey, I got the the champ of the company vouching for me. Right. And um, went back on a tour for Candelo. I was in the middle of nowhere. We're up in Ontario, um, and in this reservation that has a, like one phone on the entire right. reservation, and it's at the, uh, the the sheriff's trailer. For a lot of people that, that are listening, you probably never experienced this. We used to actually go tour Indian reservations, where you would go up in the middle of nowhere, and there'd be like he just said trailers, or maybe a community center. Or you know, a uh, Hudson's Bay where you would buy supplies, but it was basically the Wild West. So when he says there was no phones, it's not a joke. There was one phone in a trailer uh, in the middle of you know the bush, basically. So, and there wasn't cell phones yet. No, and that's crazy too when you think about it. I mean, there was no GPS, there was no cell phones, and and the middle of nowhere. Like we're talking twenty four hours north of Winnipeg. That like, you have to drive on a lake. A frozen lake to get to. That's a yeah. whole show unto itself. Oh, it is. And you, you <laughs> see people and they're like, what? I mean, that ice road trucker show kind of sheds a little light on it, but that's, yes. that's what we did. That's you know, right. You, you drive in the middle of a forest on a, you know, they took a plow through it. So you got to go like 10 kilometers or like five <laughs> miles an hour and go to so, these places in the middle of nowhere. So, so you're, you're in the middle of nowhere. Then the phone call comes and the, sh- the sheriff's, trailer yeah i mean you can't you seriously can't write this like <laughs> it, it, is there I, an adam around here <laughs> <laughs> and candelo he goes ah oh, hey there's a phone call come on let's go and i was like uh okay and i guess he had talked to demarco so he knew it was coming oh, okay. i had no idea so i get there and carl's on the phone and goes hey got a contract for you it's waiting down in stanford i was like uh and and it was like everything just started like spinning and like the, just so many endorphins and adrenaline and just everything good that is inside you just like, you know, burst out. And and I remember I got off the phone and I jumped on Candelo, hugging him and kissing him and <laughs> you know, just he's like, hey, 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 you know, cause he's so like Papa Geppetto, right? That's right. He's this little hard gutted roly poly thing. And, uh, you know, the, this police chief, for lack of a better term, is just kind of sitting there watching all of this happen and, and you know, my life changing on this phone call. 
And and I just I was like, man, I, okay, get back to Winnipeg. You know, we finished this tour out, get back to Winnipeg, and I flew straight from Winnipeg down to Stanford, down walked down to New York, and they had a limo pick me up. Wow. Whoa, what is going on? Here? Big like, leagues, right? <laughs> yeah, I like I I just went from an Econoline van where you could see like eight inches of ice on the inside of the windows <laughs> right. to like I, I'm in a limo. Like I've I, I've seen a limo, <laughs> but you can spell yeah, limo. What they looked like inside, nothing. So I'm I'm number one. My first time here, my first time flying into New York. I've been through New York once coming back from, uh, you know, a hell tour down in the southern states. But, uh, you know, so I'm in the limo. I'm pulling up to Titan Towers and, like, you know, the WWF logo on the side and everything. I'm just like, oh, man, okay, this is it. I mean, this is it. Mm-hmm. Um, then they took me to the TV studios. And, and I go in there, and, you, you know, you see posters and things like that. And I look, and there's a ring set up. And Michael Hayes is standing there. I'm like, oh, oh wow, that's Michael Hayes. What, what's going on here? Okay. And he goes, all right, let's have a match. And I was like, oh. <laughs> like, I'm right off the plane. And I was wow. like, uh, just flown from Winnipeg, just finished, like, a brutal tour. I was like, okay, all right. So I get my stuff on. I hop in there. We got in. And he just, you know, got in there and called called the match. And, uh, you know, we had, like, a 10-minute match and hit me with the stiffest left jab ever. And then... <laughs> DDT'd me so hard, like just the tightest, stiffest DDT I've ever taken. And, uh, you know, we, so we finished the match or whatever. I didn't complain. I didn't say a word. He just goes, oh, you okay? Everything good? I was like, perfect. Great. A-okay. Thank you very much. That was fun. And uh, then after the fact, I found out that he vouched for me after the match. Oh, wow. That, uh, we got something here. And that could be one of the reasons why he gave you a stiff shot here and there, just to see how you'd react. It was exactly the reason. You know, it was, yeah. and, I, and I knew enough at that point to shut your mouth, just right. shut your mouth, grit your teeth and say, awesome. Thank you. Right. And, uh, so from there I got called at the JR's office and, uh, sat down and he goes, okay, we got a deal for you. Here it is. And I, I want to preface this with, you will make and, and do as good as much work as you put into this. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was for $210 a week. Two hundred and ten dollars a week. Two hundred and ten dollars a week because <laughs> after the the uh, currency exchange, that worked out to three hundred Canadian. Wow! Right. So you're making twelve hundred. You finally make it to the W, and it's twelve hundred dollars a month. Yep. Wow! And they said just keep working. There, mm. there, there was no farm system. They said just keep working, keep getting booked. Nobody oh, so you, so you booked. signed you signed with them, but they. They just wanted you to continue doing what you were doing, the Candelo tours and the Bo James tours or whatever you could, even though you're still signed by them? Yeah, I got signed at the end of 96. Wow. And then I just, yeah, I kept working. I, you know, Bad News and Jerry wanted to take Jay and I to Japan. Cool. Sold. More experience. Awesome. Working guys that can't speak English. This is going to be more experience. And that's what they said. They just keep the rust out. We'll call you when we're ready for you. Just right. keep working. So I, uh, you know, Pennsylvania Championship Wrestling, okay, I'm there. You know, Cleveland All-Pro, okay, I'm there. Southern States, okay, I'm there. Uh, Grand Prix, okay, I'm there. Candela, okay, I'm there. And I just kept kept going wherever I could. Um, but now I had 300 bucks or 210 bucks, depending on where I was, to at least eat. Right. And, and that's really what it was. It was like, okay, here's a little morsel so that you, mm. you can 
keep doing your thing. And uh, then finally, when I signed my deal deal, uh, my very first deal, kind of fast forwarding a little bit, they, they also paid all of my, my college fees. Wow. Yeah. As a bonus, they, they, uh, you know, and I think I owed like 40 grand. Hmm. So, um, I, which I they didn't have to do, which I always thought was very, very cool of JR to do. He said, and we're going to take care of your college, by the way. And I was like, oh, because that had been hanging over my head while I'd been trying to to just get somewhere and make it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, man, I got this 40 grand that's over my head, and I'm making, you know, 50 bucks on this show. Cool, now I'm making 210, but that's not going to chip away at 40 grand. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so- they, they took care of that when I signed, you know, my, my deal deal. Um, so, so, so here you are on the cusp of finally debuting in the WWE edge. Can you come back and join us next week? I feel like Ryan Seacrest after the break. Can you come back next week? If not, then uh, we'll we'll have a lot of unanswered questions on our hands. I can make it back. We'll, we'll keep them hanging until next week. All right. Wait until next week. You should hear what edge is going to tell us. Thank you so much. It's been a great, great hour. Adam, you've been amazing. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much to Edge. We will have him back next week for another amazing show. What a cool conversation. So much more to talk about. Listen, I want to thank you for supporting this show. I want to thank you for being a part of Talk of Jericho. And I also want to thank you for going to podcastone.com, clicking on the Talk is Jericho page, and then clicking on that Amazon button. Every time you link to Amazon through my page and do some shopping, Amazon kicks a little money back to me so that I can keep this bad boy on the air for free. It's not going to cost you any more to shop. You won't be paying any extra fees or anything. It's just a way we can keep the lights on, keep the water flowing, keep the heat on in this place, keep it up for free. So please click the Amazon button anytime you need to buy something online. You can bookmark it, actually. Just go to podcastone.com, click on Talk is Jericho, and the Amazon button is right there. Go shopping. And now, before we end the show, we do our Talk is Jericho question. You know I'm going to ask you one. And the question is from WWE Big Logo Belt. There you go, at WWE Big Logo Belt. Sent a Twitter question to at Talk is Jericho and asked me, said, how did it feel going to Japan the first time? It was an amazing, amazing time for me. I was 19 years old. I flew there with $300 in my pocket, no work visa, no real idea what I was going to do, how I was going to, um, if anyone was going to come pick me up or what the story was, what was going to happen. It was a great, uh, great experience for me. And the thing I remember the most is two things. One, how quiet the crowd was when I first uh, got there. You'd go to the ring, you'd do all these uh, really cool moves, and nobody would even respond. They wouldn't say a word. And I'd be like, why isn't anybody screaming? Where's all the screaming chicks? Where's all the, where's all the, 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 the mania? And then I realized they just kind of stood there and watched, just sat there and watched until they saw something they liked, and then they would stomp their uh, feet on the ground. And they would get into the false finishes by going, one, two, oh, one, two, oh. And the second thing I learned is that uh, don't drink milk there because it's really goat's milk. And the first time I drank it, I took a huge gulp and uh, promptly puked because it tastes like soybeans or something. It might be soy milk. So don't drink soy milk if you first go to Japan. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me on Talk is Jericho. We will be here next week right here on podcastone.com with the second part of the killer 
Edge interview. Thank you so much. God bless you all. Take care. Stay hard. Stay happy. Stay cool. Thanks for listening to Talk is Jericho. Don't forget, every Wednesday there's a brand new episode of Talk is Jericho at podcast1.com. 